0: This is the Insight is Capital podcast. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Insight is Capital podcast. My name is Pierre Daly, Managing Editor of AdvisorAnalyst.com. We're speaking with Greg Taylor, Portfolio Manager at Purpose Investments in Toronto. Greg, thank you very much for joining us today on Insight is Capital. Greg, let's talk about cannabis and your unique actively managed fund the Purpose Marijuana Opportunities Fund, ticker MJJ. Um, By the looks of it, it appears that your fund is outpacing the passive uh, ETF, um, HMMJ, by about 1,200 basis points. Is that right?
1: Something close to
0: that, yes. So in the last year, the cannabis sector has been on fire. Volatile, yes, but this has really been one hot sector What would you say is the reason for the outperformance? And and secondly, what's the distinction of taking an active approach in this sector?
1: So, the main thing we have is when we launched the the MJJ fund on February 1st, when we looked at the the, the space we felt was still a little overheated from the big run that the marijuana stock sell had in January and out of out of last year also. So when we launched the fund, one of the big drivers as an active management for me is cash. Um, so, so we don't go fully invested at all times. Uh, so when we launched the fund February first, we held about 30 to 40 percent cash. And we kept that cash from the sidelines until a lot of the companies came back to our buy zone at better relative valuations. As they pulled back in the last few months, we've been deploying that cash and probably got to about 5% uh, cash level, so more fully invested. So we've been able to, uh, more of the cash allocation, be able to to try and dampen some of the volatility of the sector because this is one of the more volatile sectors in the area. And having a, a strategy that's fully invested, we think, is, is leaving a lot of risk in the market. So one of the big things as an active manager, to me, cash is one of the biggest drivers of returns. And that's the strategy we're going to use throughout this fund.
0: And this is this is actually one of the the distinctions of, of being of having an active approach to to managing a sector like this. I mean, because the sector is so inefficient, it actually it actually provides great opportunities for an active manager like yourself.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of volatility in the space and I think that uh, being able to trade around positions, being able to uh, change your weightings in companies, especially as we go through a period of consolidation which seems to be coming up in the space. Uh there's a lot of big companies that are buying medium cap companies and I think having an active approach we can position ourselves away from the acquirers and more acute to the the acquirees, which are areas which I think you can add some relative value. And certainly just trading around some some hype. There's a lot of hype in this sector and when the height meter gets too high, Uh advancing some cash, taking some money off the table is one of the strategies we will deploy. And the marijuana space to us stood out as an area that's really inefficient right now. Uh Certainly in 2017, the space exploded and we've got different companies that are up 400-500% in the one year. And I think a lot of it is really unique to how the trading patterns work in this this area. There's a lot of hype around it and there's a lot of excitement how big the space is going to be. But I think there's also a lot of myths and rumors that are really out there that people just jumped on the hype. And a lot of the trading is really interesting to me is that this is a sector that a lot of big institutional investors are not allowed to participate in, be it from regulatory reasons or their own bank doesn't want them to invest in the space. So you've got a sector that hit an over $20 billion market cap uh, last year that is really dominated by either retail investors, uh, hedge funds, or the passive ETFs. Uh, there's one passive ETF out there, the Horizons Marijuana Fund, and it's done a good job getting a blanket exposure to the sector, but in my right. mind, it's become too big. It's almost become a dominant force of the sector because it's the way a lot of people were just getting exposure to the space. So the way I was looking at it is you want an active approach to the sector. It's one of the most volatile areas of the market right now, and just buying a passive index is not the best way to get exposure.
0: So um, what would be some examples of of companies that fundamentally fit your criteria for a, a good long position?
1: So when I'm looking at this space, there's a number of ways I'm coming at it. Uh, The first real fundamental view when I looked at it, and I'm a generalist, I look at a lot of different sectors, but this sector really stands out to me with a lot of similarities to the junior oils and the junior metal sectors. And it's just sectors that have tons of volatility, have very interesting management teams. And the stocks trade around what people think, but different trading flows and just different rumors on the street. And so what I'm looking for are companies that are, are really exploiting and th- being different than just their peers. Because there's a lot of big cap names in the company, in the sector that are just doing middle of the road things. Nothing really that niche or or should be worth what they're getting paid for. So what I'm looking for are companies that are really going to stand out and try and survive the test of time. Because I think in the next few years there's going to be a lot of, a lot of blow ups and failures in this space. Uh, companies have raised a lot of capital just with the idea of becoming It's almost like a mind speculator that they want to come to the sector because they see a lot of people raising money here and getting rich fast. But they don't really have a good business plan figured out. So uh, to me, what I'm doing when I look into space is trying to figure out the companies which I think has a staying power to to make it the next few years or a niche, uh, carved out niche of the sector that I think will make them attractively valued to other parts of the market. I, I think to win in this space, there's a few things that I look for. The first is you have to be really low cost. Um, I think that the price of of cannabis in Canada is going to drop really fast. There's so much capacity coming on that's being built in the next year or two that I think the price per gram is going to drop uh, quite dramatically. So you can't be a middle-of-the-road grower because I think those guys are going to get completely crushed out of a cost point of view. And I think keep those costs going, you need to be looking at companies that are doing something different and something different could be just that they have a niche, that they have a a good buying group to sell into like Quebec, which is like But I think the biggest thing that I'm going to look for from niche is working on some of the value out of products I think the sector is really going to transform fast into adding value for the oils for some of the beverages and I think companies that are well down the value chain to do that are the ones that you need to look at that can keep their pricing power And the third big thing that I that I think when we look for these companies is international. Uh, These companies are valued well beyond what they can just sell in Canada. And I think to do that,
0: you need those companies that are looking at growing internationally. Wouldn't the uh, I mean, wouldn't international export be problematic in terms of of the law or or is there enough of a market in, in the legalized? You know, is there enough of a legalized market out there globally? um for for exports or or in in or are you referring to the uh sort of non narcotic uses like cbd oils and 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 that as as key export markets
1: the primary focus of the export markets is going to be medical. Uh, a lot of companies are well down the path of approving medical, uh, for uses in pain. Um, a lot of people want to get, a lot of countries want to get off the opioid addiction crisis. And they're looking mm-hmm. at an alternative forms like, like medical marijuana. And you're seeing a lot of countries such as Germany or Australia that are well down the path of allowing medical. And even the U.S. Um, We're not looking at the U.S. right now, so we're really focusing on Europe, Australia, even some Latin American countries are really going to be where the the next big growth is. Uh, You are able to export uh, medical marijuana from Canada to these other places, but I think really what the value add is going to be that most of the developed world is watching Canada kind of set the standards uh, of growing, of keeping, um, maintaining quality. And I think Health Canada has gone a long way to validating that, that they're involved in this process. They're almost coming up with a standard of practices for the entire industry. So when these companies, I think, get the Health Canada stamp of approval, they can go and do JVs in Germany or other countries like that, and work with growing there and creating the next uh, leg of growth in the sector from the medical point of view. Uh, I think Rex is way down the road, um, so I think medical is going to be the first uh, wave of expansion in international.
0: Now, what uh, I'm just curious because I think I think the out the the, the uh, Sort of underlying perception about about the cannabis sector is that a lot of the consumption is going to be uh, recreational but how much of it is actually recreational versus the medical space?
1: Well I think there's a bit of a blurred line on that um, I think people are using it for different uh, reasons so I think it's going to be hard to get to the actual solid number in the next uh, few years uh, there's a lot of people that are saying that the medical in Canada right now is around $1.5 billion, and then the REC market, which is all in the black market right now, would be somewhere in the 4 to $5 billion range, and I think that seems to be holding out looking at what's not Colorado and some of the U.S. states have this, but it's still, it's hard to get to the absolute numbers of what the split between medical and REC is, and I, I think a lot of that's still because of the, bl- the black market, which is keeping a lot of the numbers uh, kind of undercover.
0: On the risk management side, what are some of the key problematic areas that you see? what What are some of the areas where you see companies running into trouble? Well, I think there's a number of areas that are, are going to prop up in the next
1: few months. And I think that is really when these stocks are really going to kind of separate the winners from the losers. And then once Canada actually does approve the recreational use, and that's when these companies are really going to have to go from being a concept to actually a real business. They're going to have to start reporting gross margins and R&D expenses and how much, is, how much of their balance sheet is actually utilized. And these are real things that real companies have to report. And right for the last few years, the marijuana companies haven't really had to be focused on that. They're just talking about their growing operations. And, and it's almost going back to just how much capacity they think they can grow and what they're going to do in the future. They haven't actually had to do anything. Uh Once the rec market actually does take hold, then I think it's going to be a big development, and these companies are going to have to go from being concept to actually proof of concept. And that's when I think the management teams are really going to have to to show what their value is, and that's really I think that some companies are just not set up for that. That's where I think there's a lot of risk. Uh, The biggest question for the entire sector though, to me, is creating brands. Um, The winners in this space will be the companies that can create the best brands. And it's going to be incredibly difficult to create brands for a lot of these companies given the way the provinces are set up, how they're going to sell it in Canada. Every province is different, they're handling distribution different, and they're going to control the, the marketing spend a little differently. And I think the biggest risk the way Canada's going at it is that it's going to stymie the ability to, to create a brand in Canada. And you're going to have a lot of fragmented brands, they're going to be more grain markets, someone's going to tell you about it, you might hear about it on the internet, but it's not going to be able to create a massive brand like a Molson Coors or a, or a Labatt, which I, I think the way that the alcohol industry has gone. So the biggest risk for the Canadian guys is that they'll be able to grow and carve with niches, but they're not going to create the brands, and the brands are going to come from other countries.
0: So there's – at some point in the in the future, there's going to be uh, – I and mean, that, that could come sooner and, and it could come later, but there's going to be winners and there's going to be some, some key big winners, and then there's going to be a lot of losers. Um, in your fund, one of the unique benefits or, or features of your, your of, of your fund is of the uh, marijuana opportunities fund is that you're able to short individual stocks in the sector. Are there some examples of where companies have already disappointed or that you, you see them coming into a disappointment, simply not prevailed competitively uh, in the space already at this point, I mean at this early stage? Um, that there's an opportunity to take short positions against them, or is this more of a future, um, d- keeping the door open to uh, having the ability to short? The, the fund has done some short selling. Um, it's a little
1: uh, hard to do right now, given that the borrow cost
0: isn't very
1: available and also very expensive. So a shorting comes from more of a, a one-off trading oriented point of view, but it happens more of a, on a, on a, on a more of a one-off event. Uh, certainly we are. Right. Really big, uh, big disappointments in the space already. Um, Afria, which was a company which was probably the leader in the space last year, uh, really yeah. disappointed a lot of investors in January when they made a big acquisition of Nuvena, which, um cost a lot of money. And I think it kind of shocked the street that they paid that much in stock for a company that didn't really have that much to, to begin with. And I think the stocks really suffered since that point of view. So, Uh, Aurora is another example of a company that's done a lot of acquisitions, and the street's really not been a big fan of some of the acquisitions and deals they've done. So uh, you're already seeing that in the concept stage as people are going through rolling up the sector. Um, we haven't really had any big blobs from the, the actual operations yet just because we haven't really seen the numbers. A lot of the companies are, are really hanging on for REC uh, legalization, so they haven't had to do actually any real business uh, yet. Uh, that will come in the second half of the year, and we may not even see until Q1 of next year. But I think that's when we're going to really see the companies that actually can, can do what they're saying because right now there's a lot of promises, and they haven't been held accountable yet.
0: Yeah, they, they they haven't had to pass muster yet because they're still they're they're still pending. So, um, keeping discussion with the sectors, what's your outlook now for the energy sector, which has been enjoying a really great run? Is it a sustainable trend? I, I think it is. I, I think uh, there's been a number of things going on here. The the
1: Canadian energy sector has really been been a laggard over the last uh, few years, and even within the global energy sector, the Canadian energy stocks have lagged. Um, Energy as a, as a group really suffered during the uh, the last few years, uh, just there was a lot of concerns about supply coming on too fast, uh, whether there was uh, demand uh, destruction coming out of slowdowns in, in Asia or the, or, or the emerging markets. And that put a damper on, the, on a lot of sectors when oil they hit the lows in the the 30s uh, a few years ago. Uh, but the commodity has bounced and a lot has actually doubled off the lows. And a lot of the Canadian energy stocks really haven't, uh, which has lagged a lot of their international peers. Uh, there's a lot of made-in-Canada problems that have for the energy stocks. Um, Certainly everyone knows what the pipeline concerns, and it's just one of the realities of the Canadian energy sector that we are at the end of the pipe. So every other piece of oil produced, uh, cause it comes out of the ground in North America gets sold before they get to and filled in the pipeline. And that's really been the big disappointment that we haven't got a, a Pacific solution to offtake some of the energy in Canada, which is really starting to, uh, hit the, uh, the producers in Canada and cause their pricing, uh, differentials to, to widen. So they're, they're selling at actually a lower price. Um, we've also got, um tariffs. There was a law last year we had to worry about if there was going to be, um if the energy sector was going to be caught up in a border, uh, uh, tariff, uh, which seems to be, have gone away. But it really caused the sector to be something that people could ignore. And in the Canadian market, um the energy sector really does dominate. So when the energy stocks aren't working, the Canadian, the Canadian sector just underperforms. And you really didn't need to own the energy stocks for the last few years. Um, people could have pretty good years by buying the banks. They could buy some of the consumer companies, and they could buy, buy max out their U.S. allocation in a lot of funds. And I think that started to change in the last uh, few weeks. Uh We've seen uh, the oil prices done well, uh, mainly on the back of the Iran sanctions, but there's been a lot of good news also from the inventory point of view just as inventories get depleted, that that's offered a bit more comfort that this bounce in the oil price might be sustainable. And, and you're seeing a lot of people come back to this space. And I think that the big wake-up call for the Canadian sector was the uh, Canadian Natural Resources Block of Shell, which uh, was sold a few weeks ago. Uh, this was a big overhang in the sector, uh right. the stocks, and $4 billion. And the fact that it cleared and traded higher after the fact, I think it's a big wake-up call that these deals can get done. There's buyers out there. And the interesting thing I was hearing talking to different traders is a lot of the buyers in that deal were actually Americans. Um, And I think that when Americans can kind of come back to the sector, they're the big swing buyer. So when Americans come back to our sectors, they do well. When Americans pull away from our sectors, we we underperform. And it feels like we're coming back in a sweet spot that international buyers are coming back to the Canadian energy stocks, which should be setting up for a run for the next few
0: months. That sounds That sounds exciting, actually, in terms of the way that you've Stated it, I think the, the endorsement of U.S. investors seems to be. Uh, I mean, it seems to be a big deal across our market, across Canadian equities, but, but particularly in the energy sector. When when uh, when the American investors come back, that that tends to pave the way for for the rest of the world.
1: Yeah, it's simply a flow of funds argument that um, is that the market's really, the limited dollars attached to, to equities and when markets flow back and forth and Canadian hey, market's really been out of favor, then we've felt that in the market. But if that tide changes and people start coming back to our market, that can go a long way to to making things work again.
0: Well, I mean, the uh, you know in the years of, of, of where the market was in reaction to, you know, pure quantitative easing, it seemed like, you know, the only place to be was mainly in U.S. equities or in equities in general. But, you know, fundamentals didn't seem to matter and, and active management didn't seem to matter for a long time. But now with the return of, of, of more normal behaving markets, more uh, fun, you know, more markets that are looking at fundamentals again and looking at, at, um, inefficiencies seems to be that there's a lot of opportunity out there. Uh, That was being ignored, just like the energy sector. Yeah, the market over the last few years
1: has really been momentum-driven. People kept buying winning stocks and ignoring the lagging stocks, and there was really no mean reversion. Over, over history, most of the time you can look at a market that's more in a sine wave point of view that you can sell winners, buy losers, all mean revert and you can have a pretty good return at the end of the day. Uh, the last few years has really been an anomaly that they haven't had these mean reversions and the crowded trade keeps getting more crowded and we certainly saw that with the FANG stocks which just keep going, kept going up every day. And lagging sectors such as the energy stocks really didn't, didn't do much. Now, we're seeing a bit of a break in that as the people get more comfortable that the UL commodity might hang up here. And really, if that happens and you're starting to see some good numbers being delivered from these companies, what you might get kicked in is the next buyer are the quant funds. Uh, a lot of these quant funds are really driven off of models that show look at earnings growth. I only want to buy the top quartiles of earnings growth companies and as the oil companies start putting up numbers which are staring the stand out in the face of slowing growth in other areas, you could see the quant funds and then turning momentum driven st- uh, strategies come back to the sector, which could be another leg of growth
0: you know it's exciting because because even if you just reconsider even if you consider just you know across the market a a move to rebalance. Um, out of expensive areas into value, that could also prove to be a very exciting prospect for value investors as well, as well as, as there's, of course, under the, um, under the sector rotation strategy, there's so many fronts where, where markets can change given the change in sentiment and given the change away from momentum. But now, Recently, Greg, some U.S.-based investors have been quite vocal or or have been active in terms of the Canadian banking sector taking short positions against the big Canadian banks. What are your thoughts on this? It's really
1: tough to call. uh, There's certainly been a big short Canada bank that has traded on for the last uh, number of years. and it didn't really work in absolute terms, but it worked in relative terms. Uh, I think Bank of America, Merrill Lynch was one of the big ones advocating the trade a few years ago. And the trade they had on, had on was go long the U.S. banks and short the Canadian banks. And while the Canadian banks didn't really go down, uh, the U.S. banks went up a lot more. So that trade actually worked. Um, but the hedge funds seem to be coming back to try it again. And it's it's interesting to see how it'll work this time. Um, certainly, Canada has its own problems. Um, certainly, the trade is always going to be an issue with the NAFTA dispute still out there. And, and everyone knows about the Canadian debt uh, problems, that there's a lot of household debt, and we'll see what the growth is going to be coming out of the sector. Right. But the Canadian banks are, are really hard to, to say that they're actually going to really get hurt. Um, I think they've Things are going to blow up in the housing crisis is kind of looking in the rear of the mirror and trying to replay the last housing crisis that we just saw in the U.S. And usually what the next crisis is isn't the exact same as the last one. We've already gone through a housing crisis, and I think the banks are pretty well positioned to uh, look for another one to try and make sure they've offset their risk or they've, they've hedged up a lot of the risk so they can handle a downturn. So the next crisis is going to be something that we're not going to know what's coming. So looking at Canadian banks is really getting hits on Canadian housing. I think is is a bit of a long shot. Um, it's not not far to say the Canadian banks aren't going to have a lot of growth. Um, a lot of the mortgage uh, growth is going to taper out in the next uh, few years. And so really, where they're going to get their growth is from the international expansion they've done. And certainly, some banks have been way better at other, than others at doing so. Uh, TD and Royal. Have certainly had big uh, wins in the U.S. and Scotia's done pretty well uh, expanding into Latin America. Um, it's looking at the other banks, we're going to see where the growth is. Uh, Commerce and National are the ones that kind of stand out as ones that are more domestic focused and, and might have a little more of a, of a harder time to grow uh, from a top line point of view. Uh, certainly, from an earnings point of view, you're going to see a lot of growth because these companies are still just cash flow machines, and the amount of money that they're putting back towards buybacks will add some, some more of a, a fake earnings growth just for taking getting rid of the uh, the number of shares out there. But it's going to be hard to see the Canadian banks really blow up. So while they may lag other sectors, I think the short Canadian bank trade is more of a relative term trade.
0: Greg, just in, in uh in general across the market, um being a sector rotator, I mean in terms of your investment strategy, Greg, what what areas of the market are you reducing and what areas of the market have you been adding exposure to?
1: So what I've been looking at in the market is that I think we're going to see that some of the crowded trades really come off. Um, everyone has been trading, hiding in these momentum strategies, uh, most notably the big Internet names and, and technology. And while they're great companies and they've done a lot of good things, I think the valuation got a little stretched. And, and just the, the question is, who's going to be the next buyer? Uh, anytime you buy a stock, I think you have to always think of who I'm going to sell it to. And when everyone owns a stock, it's going to be hard to say, I think this is a stock that's going to keep winning. So I've been t- selling off some of the big Internet names, um, trying to just trim down some of that exposure, and looking at areas that really have been ignored. Uh, this, certainly we've talked about the energy stocks. I think some of the other commodities are going to do well also. I think if global growth really takes off, uh The basic materials and the, the metal stocks could be setting up for a fairly good run. Um, certainly some of the data coming out of the emerging markets is, is doing quite well. Uh, Europe seems to be turning around, and that's usually pretty good for copper. Um, some of these copper names are looking fairly attractive. So I think uh, setting up that basic materials, energy, uh the cyclical trade could be on in the second half of the year. So that's the area that I'm positioning towards.
0: Greg, it's been a volatile start to the year something a lot of investors welcomed, and earnings have been really strong, but the market hasn't actually taken that to heart. Yeah, I think
1: this really is setting up for an interesting year, and and certainly the volatility coming back is something that I think all active managers have welcomed. Uh, Certainly, as an active manager who likes to trade around volatility, uh, the last few years have really been rather dull. Uh, markets that have slowly grinded, ground higher up are really hard to, to beat and it's really just something that it's, people have been able to just win by buying momentum and I think the momentum trade well, still going to be there. I think volatility is coming back. And certainly looking at the way the stock market's acted over the last few months has been really quite fascinating. Uh, certainly we're getting a lot of really strong earnings numbers coming out of the U.S. And a lot of that is really juiced by some of the tax cuts, which have hyperinflated the growth of some of these companies' earnings. But what's really interesting is you're seeing that the stocks are not really reacting to them. Um, you're seeing earnings grow at double digit but stocks basically be flat, which really means that the multiples are contracting. Um, and that means that everyone knows that the good news is coming. So everyone's saying, well, what's next? And I think that's all setting up that the market really has in a lot of the good news, and we are trying to see what's next. Is the second half of the year going to be strong? Um, is global growth going to keep going into 19 and 20? And that's really what I think the real uncertainty is in this market right now. So I would expect for the balance of the year to be increasingly more volatile as investors try and figure out how much of the earnings growth that we saw in the first quarter is real and sustainable, and how much it was just sugar-coated from tax cuts. And then what multiple do you want to put on that? Because if the earnings growth isn't sustainable, I think you want to discount your multiple,
0: which could cause for a sideways market. Do you think there's any surprise good news areas aside from things like the repatriation of offshore funds and the um the tax cuts coming into coming into play? Do you think there's any good news that, that is unknown yet by the market? Or or you know, in terms of, of uh efficiency in markets, do you think a lot of that good news is already being factored in?
1: I think the good news is gonna come from just striking off the risk of bad news happening. Uh and that's more that there's a lot of concerns in the market about trade. Um uh, are we entering a trade war with China? Will NAFTA ever be settled? If we can get past that with those issues being resolved, I think that'd be a boost to the market. Um and there's a lot of and other things would be just What's the bond yield, uh, gonna, gonna end up at? Uh, there was a lot of concern with, uh, when the 10-year in the U.S. hit over 3%, would that cause a lot of stocks to, to suffer? And it didn't really matter that much, so. I think people are getting more comfortable with the 10 year getting back to normalizing over 3%. Now maybe if it's 4%, that's a different story and that could cause people to start to question valuations and multiples. But really as long as people get through these hurdles of trade, uh, higher bond yields, and also watching the dollar, the US dollar has had a fairly big run and what the impact that can have on a lot of, a lot of companies and their earnings. But if we get further through these events and that the world doesn't really suffer any other events, then I could think people could get more confident and they'll start paying up and the multiples will expand, which is good for the market and should see higher returns.
0: In general, Greg, is your outlook for the for the next 12 to 18 months positive or is it flat or negative?
1: I think looking at different um, geographies is going to be fairly key. I think the U.S. market has a risk of being uh, flat to slightly higher in the next few years because, again, a lot of the good news is already priced in. I think um, the Canadian market has potential to play some catch-up as the energy and material stocks get going. So we could see positive returns coming out of the, the Canadian market over the next year or so. Um, Europe and Asia, I think, are are probably more along the lines that they'll have positive moves as well. Again, so I, I think it's more that the winning trade, which has really been the American trade, uh, is going to probably come off the front, front burner, and we could look at a catch-up move from some of these other lagging sectors, such as Canada and the emerging markets.
0: Thanks, Greg. That was very enlightening.